Welcome to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. We have a really fun one today. Yeah, man. We had a, we went down to West Point the other day on our way to Venice. and Great stop. Great. Out of the way, but very worthwhile. I think that's how I'll go to Venice every time because <laughs> we went, we, we dropped in at the gamekeeper's office and saw Bobby Cole. Yep. And we saw Dudley. Yep. Who was there, and we, you know, saw a bunch of other folks that even were there. David Holly, David Holly, and, and Mr. And Chris, his yeah, daddy, Holly's dad was there too, <laughs> and um, it was fun. We recorded a, a podcast right in the in the gamekeeper's office yep. there, right in the right yep. in the front door. Yep, but, and I, I love Bobby Cole. I mean, oh, he's man. just a national treasure. Yep. And when I think about um, awesome organizations, and I consider Mossy Oak one of those awesome organizations. Awesome organizations are made up of awesome people. And I've always in my heart aspired to build the kind of organization that, that Toxie has built or that Fred Smith has built. Like I think those guys have just built incredible teams of people who can do things way beyond what they can do. Not that they're not talented. And I think Bobby is one of those guys. I mean, he's a, he's a incredibly talented writer um, Which is something I learned about. I didn't yeah. know that he did that. Yeah, I mean, not only is he incredibly talented writer, he's like one of my favorites. Yeah. I love his books, yeah. and I need to go back and read them all because in this podcast you're going to hear he referenced a couple different scenarios that I completely forgot about. I could read these books again <laughs> from right. scratch. That's right. You, you get to do it all over again. <laughs> yeah. And but it was, he's, he's also pioneered so much of what we see today about food plot stuff mm-hmm. and seed. and I mean, the biologic brand has been on the cutting edge of, of what of is yeah what is now like mainstream you know yeah. 20 years ago planting a food plot was a little bit foreign it was the guys on tv trying to kill big deer and yeah. you know now now man people are planting plots for turkeys they're planting crops and plots for ducks and, well, and they're and also planting deer. them in seasons they're just not even going to hunt them it's just food right it's just supplemental right and, right. and so ta- it, he kind of talks about how that's changed over the years and that's kind of an interesting context for me to think about that i haven't considered exactly before. and and, and so as as he alludes to, so much of the food plot and like habitat management is a 365 day year round yep. activity with whatever property you have, mm-hmm. and that that didn't exist 20 plus years ago. You know gotcha. that that is a that's a recent advent that people go to their farm and work on the farm all year round yeah. and yeah. think about their deer and their turkeys and their ducks. Um, you know, people do that instead of going to the lake. You know, that's <laughs> that's an enjoyable hobby and. And I'm not going to say Mossy Oak invented that because certainly they didn't, but they were very much on the forefront of that and yep. thinking about that. And I love one of my favorite things about Bobby is he gets the connection between the Mossy Oak brand and the outdoor lifestyle mm-hmm. and conservation and habitat management. And that's why he fits so well being a quote-unquote gamekeeper and being yeah. the president of Biologic. I mean, yeah. so... It was was really cool to hear about how he got to Mossy Oak in the first yep. place and how they came upon the name of Gamekeepers. Yep. And so if you if you enjoy the Gamekeeper podcast, you'll get a little bit extra here yeah. context and background about yeah, that. Yeah, well, for sure. So. so I I really appreciate Bobby taking the time yeah. uh, to sit down with us. He has tons of stuff on his plate. He's I really mean, busy. he is a busy guy. There yeah. are there are doers and there are. Uh, Watchers and Bobby is a doer, is a doer for, <laughs> for, sure. Sure. for sure. So for a doer to sit down and give us an hour of his time is something that we're just really, really appreciative of, and yep. something I think that um, our listeners are really going to enjoy. So. All right, well, let's get into it. Yep. Get up. Welcome, folks. 
Y'all come on in and make yourself at home. This here, well, this is the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Your home for all things Rolling Thunder. This episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast is presented by Mossy Oak Camouflage because everything is better in Bottomland and Lucky Duck Premium Decoys, Masters of Deception. Welcome to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. What's up, buddy? Man, we're in one of my favorite places today. Yeah, it's a pretty cool spot. West Point, Mississippi, Yeah, here in the Gamekeeper's office. Yeah. Yeah, it's a neat place. A lot of history here, a lot of friends here, and definitely not on the way to Venice, Louisiana. So <laughs> worth the uh, little bit of drive That's out of the right. way. That's right. West Point, Mississippi. <laughs> it's worth the drive. Uh, we have one of my favorite people at Mossy Oak, I should say, on the podcast today with us, Mr. Bobby Cole. And I don't know what, Bobby, your official job title is, but I do think that you're in the top few percentile of hardest working people around here because I know for a fact that Bobby showed up to work before other people on opening day of turkey season at least one time in his career at Mossy Oak. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, look, I'm, it's exciting to be here. That, in, that, uh, y'all's, the rolling whole rolling thunder thing and uh it's just so impressive kind of get a little bit of everything it, there yeah. in the, it in sets the, the mood very it well it gets you fired <laughs> up no doubt that's for sure i'd kind of uh, like that guy to read me a bedtime yeah. story every now and then <laughs> well spence is uh you know i found out i heard about spence many years ago through mark womack and he started telling mm-hmm. me about this guy over in arkansas that was just crazy about public land ducks and you could just say crazy and stop and everybody would go okay yeah so i learned a little bit more and then uh and then uh, jacob and uh, yeah. there's just kind of this legend of spence and uh it, it's just been fascinating to kind of watch how you've kind of moved through and I expanded thought, i thought we were supposed to be interviewing him i, I mean, don't this know sometimes like, you don't mind this, this line is quintessential. <laughs> What, this this got to be in one of the Dale Carnegie books, like <laughs> how to win people. And uh, well, your reputation precedes <laughs> you when it comes to ducks. Well, now. I appreciate that. I don't know. I, I well, how I many people would say. move to? I mean, you could probably. I mean, I, I know there are other people that have moved to Arkansas so yeah. they could have a resident opportunity yeah. to hunt, but. Uh, you know, it's kind of like Mark Jury moving to Iowa sure. so he can hunt. I mean, that's pretty much making a big commitment. Well, I didn't actually move to Arkansas, but we're we're fortunate living in Memphis that we can be, you know, two hours. Throw to, yeah, we can be within thirty minutes to two hours of anywhere. All the good duck hunting is within. Yeah, for some reach, reason, I thought you, know. you moved to Arkansas when they changed those rules a few years. No, ago. No, we all kind of talked about it, and and a lot of my friends did. I didn't because I was concerned, and I ended up, this was a valid concern. I was afraid it was silly at first, but Arkansas has a state income tax, and we don't in Tennessee. And so the a lot of the people that were moving their residency were still, were moving their residency on paper, but still filing their income taxes in their home state. And when that mm. happens, people, you know, when you get caught, they the warden says to you, okay, you've frauded one of the two sides of this coin. You've either frauded the IRS or you've frauded the state of Arkansas. Like, yeah, pick you, one. You pick. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. a that's a lose-lose battle. And 
so I never did. I just uh, I just made the best out of the the shortened restrictions and the the lesser days. But um, it makes for some earlier mornings. But I, you know, the at, I just couldn't. You can't live in Arkansas and hunt every day and keep your marriage together. <laughs> and, and as much as I like to duck hunt, I like my wife and kids a lot better. So I, you know. I'm fortunate and blessed to be able to hunt a lot, and that's not what this podcast is about. But I couldn't live over there. I'd I'd be a single man in a short period of time, and I'd be hopeless, worthless. Uh, <laughs> well, it's pretty you know. amazing that you found a woman that would put up with you. So I can understand why well, you would work to keep her. Well, yesterday was your anniversary, and you're not much different now. I mean, no. you're, you're, yeah, I'm, I'm, you're I'm married way over my head. But we're both blessed. All right, so let's talk about you for just a minute. Tell us what what do you do here? What is your official job title, according to Toxie? Well, you know, (laughs) gosh, we have so much going on. In this building, we've got biologic and native nurseries and then gamekeepers. And so we've got the magazine, the TV show, and we've got the podcast. We sell uh, a lot of food plot seed. That's a big part of what we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And just kind of trying to keep a handle on that as, as a full-time deal. And then uh, I don't do much with Native, but I'm kind of, you know, there and, and, and around it. We, we've all kind of got one little small hall, and you can hear everybody talking and everybody asking questions. And so when somebody's got an issue, we kind of all roll up our sleeves and jump in there and help sure. them. Because uh, it, it's the, we call this building where we house, and, and it's home to the conservation brands. Okay. And um, and Gamekeeper probably being that one brand down here that kind of overreaches and helps mm-hmm. all of them. Okay. And then the Mossy Oak brand kind of overreaches and helps all these l- little conservation mm-hmm. brands. So, so it it's it's really a it's a interesting and fascinating place, and we spend so much time. Lenny and I always talk about how the wildlife are our are, are ultimate customers. I mean, we mm-hmm. sell mm-hmm. seed to people and we sell trees to people, but ultimately we're trying to make the ducks happy, make the deer happy, mm-hmm. make the turkeys happy, uh, upland bird. So yeah. we make decisions on products based on the, how they how the wildlife will like them mm-hmm. or how they will perform for the wildlife, and mm-hmm. then try to figure out how do we how's this how can we make this available to guys at a mm-hmm. at a great value, Toxie. Right preaches to us all the time to to make sure we have great values for people because mm-hmm. we, we are we are tr- truly trying to help people mm. enjoy their time in the outdoors sure. and get the most out of it. and what we found with the whole gamekeeper aspect is that now guys <clears throat> have a reason to be on their property 12 months out of the year mm-hmm. and that's uh <clears throat> excuse me and that's that's important because you know you can't just think about your deer herd from October mm-hmm. to you know January. Mm-hmm. You, That's you, really changed in your career in the outdoor industry, right? I mean, it, it has, and, and it. I mean, you can see it, you can feel it. When we first started Biologic, uh, uh, most people didn't even think about planting something in the spring or summer. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really mm-hmm. just thought about well, this fall, well, September. We'll yeah, get what a are we going to plant? Planted, and yeah, it went, once deer season was over with, they left the deer camp, locked the door. <laughs> and and didn't go back till turkey season, mm-hmm. and then yeah. once turkey season was over, they didn't think about it again until September. So, mm. but now guys are on the property twelve months out of the year with cameras, mm-hmm. with spring and summer food plots, minerals. Yep. Uh, uh, just there's just so much. You know, we're learning about burning at other times other than 
in, the, in February, mm-hmm. which is the traditional time. We're, we're yep. learning about growing season burns. and So there's uh, if a guy's really wanting to manage his property, and we tell people it doesn't matter, it's matter if you've got 40, 400, or 4,000. I mean, there's something you can do on your place yep. year-round and, to make it better. Yeah, yep. that's really interesting. And Game Keepers is much bigger than just the magazine and the television show, right? Well, we do. We've got some licensees with so there's the Gamekeeper Fieldware, which is a big part of what we do. Some really, really good clothes. We've yeah. got some friends at uh, Core Resources that that build those. For, we're partners in that. It's some fantastic clothing. And uh, mate, you might be interested in this. They've got a line of clothes that's got the. It's called a Limitic, mm-hmm. where they embed this. Uh, Promethean in the clothing, and it'll last for like thirty-five washes. Wow! So wow. during no turkey season, you don't. I, mean, I sometimes I forget to spray down. Yeah. Y'all ever do yeah. that? I yeah. mean, you get turkeys gobbling here in a rush, and yeah. I mean, you come home with two or three. T- you won't if you wear that. That Promethean stuff is is the real deal. Heck I've, yeah! I've treated mine and Trips clothing with it. You know, not the kind that's embedded into the fabric, but actually just the spray. You know that you do at the beginning of the year. And if I take, if I'm hunt with somebody else that's not got that on their clothing, it's unbelievable how much they're we getting can, tagged. Yeah, they'll, I mean, they'll, they'll find ticks crawling on them. Like, I don't feel like I ever find ticks in the springtime now that I've been putting that on my clothes. I need to get some of that stuff because this year I played with fire. It's the real deal. And I didn't wear anything all year, like, repellent-wise or whatever. I didn't get any ticks on me somehow, some way. Oh, yeah. my goodness. It must have been a weird year because I only sprayed at the beginning of the season. And I, I didn't pull a tick off me. Yeah, but well, if you I also don't have a, my clothes. Yeah, I was going to say, you didn't wash your clothes because you don't have say, a washer and dryer. That'll, that, I that, do have a washer and dryer at my at 2705 <laughs> Drive. So, Bobby, this is RT, and RT lived in my barn for about the first three months that he worked for us. He's just now moved out on his own and gotten a refrigerator. February. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, February. <laughs> Give me a little. Well, I he, lived he, barn when we were leaving and hunting in, Ar- in, in Arkansas like every day. I mean, it was duck season. It was not like I was just hanging out. Yeah. Well, I got God. a feeling but that Spencer's barn is probably a little nicer than the average barn. It's though. still, oh, it, it is. It's it still is. June the 27th, and they doesn't have a washer and dryer. Don't, so I have a dryer. Come, oh, sorry. Don't have a washer. I'm still hunting. Yeah. Well, you know, there's dry cleaners. Well, dryer is one of the. It, there are. He's also got a key to my house. And so. <laughs> Uh, anyways, we we digress. But, I know. I just so the, take advantage. The gamekeeper clothing you're talking about has the Promethean built into the fabric. Yes, it does. And uh, so, I mean, thirty washes. I don't think I don't ever. I don't like to wash my clothes too much. I mean, a little That'll mud last. on the bottom land is it just makes me <laughs> feel a like a water moccasin laying up against the chair. <laughs> so I li- I like keeping my clothes. I mean, if they get smelling bad, I'll wash mm-hmm. them. But sure, sure. Mud on them doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Not a bit. Yeah. Not a bit. Well, the GameCube clothing is very nice. We actually, I placed my order about six weeks ago for the fall stuff for our storefront. We've we've got about 3,000 square feet in the front of the shop that will have a full, you know, display of casual wear as well as hunting clothes. And so uh, we're going to have some GameKeeper stuff oh, good. up well, front. And, uh, yeah. Well, don't thank me until, you know, we get our <laughs> net, net 60 invoice or net 90 or what. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll come up there looking time. for you. Yeah. If you, if you. <laughs> uh, so, where did you grow up in West Point? Where are you from? No, it, uh, so I grew up in Montgomery, and, uh, Montgomery, Alabama. And, uh, uh, and I met Toxie 
at a, the Southeastern Open Turkey Calling Contest, and this probably was around 86 or 87. Was and he competing, or were you competing? No, no. Um, no, he was there. Just he, he, We've got a, a mutual friend named John Collett who had a uh-huh. store. I worked at another store there in Montgomery called The Outhouse at the time, and so we, we met. His and store was called the, the Collette's Outdoorsman or it, something it like was. that? It was. That's exactly what okay. it was. And um, and it sold Mossy Oak, and the Outhouse didn't. And I always thought the Mossy Oak was the, just the coolest thing ever. Huh. But because Collett's had it, we couldn't buy it. We ended up um, – it's, it's a long story, but I got to meet Toxie there. And we kind of hit it off. And um, a few years later, maybe a year later, I can't remember the exact time, but – I was selling construction materials, working out of a truck, driving around to job sites and meeting with contractors, and I was kind of miserable. I didn't mm-hmm. I really it wasn't mm-hmm. me. It really wasn't what I wanted to do. And uh, and I it's, it's a true story. This is how it happened. I'm gonna tell you how it happened. So um, one Sunday morning, I was just miserable. And when the preacher kind of did his little invitation, you know, I just kind of went down and just kind of prayed at the there on the steps, and uh, you know, I was like, "Lord, I'm I'm miserable. I need I need some help." I, and my wife kind of knew what was going on, and we had a young, we had a, we were about to have a baby, and uh, so anyway, that was on a Sunday morning, and and I, you know, went back and sat down in my seat, and sermon service was over, and I, I felt relieved having gone and done mm-hmm. that, you know, like a, the very next day. It was a Monday afternoon. Bob Dixon called me, <laughs> and Taxi was sitting there in his office, and they said, hey, we'd like for you to come over here and talk to us about a job. So it just so, wow. you know, it happened the very next day. So yeah, I've just always felt like this was where I was supposed to be. So that would have been like late 80s? I mean, the company was, what, a couple years old, or was that? No, the, so uh, let's see. That would that was in ninety five is when okay. that when that happened. So y'all so, had casually known each other from a distance for a few years there. Yes. Okay. We, yeah, we had. So, uh, so yeah. So you know that, that happened. Wow. And the next day, Bob called and Toxic called, and I think I drove over here within a week or two, and and uh, and I started that uh, right after turkey season. Yeah. And my daughter was about three months old. She was born in January, and the. Uh, my mother never forgave me because she uh, she she had five little grandsons, but no granddaughters. And then I had a grand I had her a granddaughter. So your a, whole family's from Montgomery area. That's right. Yeah. Where did you go to college? Uh, Auburn at Montgomery. So there you okay. Go. Yeah. So I. What'd you study? Uh, marketing, which uh, you know is kind of okay. useful around here, but uh, <laughs> but yet, but not any wildlife management. It, it, anything like that so so what was the first when when bob and toxie called you what did they want you to come here and do so i started off in the we had a uh, video department and uh that at at that time we started a video department when they got here and uh i worked for cuss he was my immediate boss and then uh wasn't too much longer uh the hunting the country Mm-hmm. television show started on TNN and I helped a little bit with that and so it it, it my my uh, initial uh, working here was around video and television as a producer or were you selling ad space like what or doing that, a little but, bit of all of yeah doing a little bit of a double and mostly on the production side okay so huh. I didn't realize that yeah 
And so how did how did the Gamekeeper brand come about? And, like, give me the whole rundown so, of your career. Well, a few <laughs> years into in, into that, um, Toxie had the, uh, the, the, the brilliant idea for Biologic. It, there was an opportunity kind of presented itself, mm-hmm. and I was around hearing the discussions of it, and I just had always loved uh, – anything to do with wildlife uh-huh. it was just fascinating so i kind of raised my hand and said hey I'd, I'd like to help on this project so i got moved over to biologic <clears throat> and you know that ran for well, i mean we're still doing biologic and uh and i guess my title is president of biologic but the uh but you know that's been a 20 i don't even know how long we've it's probably 25 years that we've been doing biologic a long time mm-hmm. And and we've got some fantastic products. Some for, I mean, just some some great clovers and mm-hmm. the, the rat. Just well, if you, I mean, if you just talk to Mark Drury, he'll tell you we, we got some really. <laughs> and I don't think there's a better deer hunter. And I mean, he's just he's the bomb. And if if he chooses it, it's good stuff. Yeah, so, no yeah. doubt. So, but along the way, um, we had this idea to we. We had started a magazine. We called it Farming for Wildlife, and then we, the the idea of being a gamekeeper so, something kind of came a, about. Yeah. Yes, a descriptive word that kind of said what we were about, mm-hmm. and uh, we just all fell in love with that word. I can remember it's where we all were word. when we started talking about. It. Could not believe we were able to trademark it. If, if, again, it was just amazing. So uh, we changed the name of the magazine, and we use gamekeepers as a way to describe what it is we love doing mm-hmm. and the activities, and, um, and it's a, it, it just fits. It works. You can say gamekeeper to anybody, and they immediately understand what you're talking about. Yep. Yep. And ironically, the word, I don't well, maybe it's not ironic, but the word is has a long history in Europe. Yep. I mean, there really? you can go to a college in Europe, and there's or gamekeeper classes. I mean, yep. they call them game. They're guys that take care of those properties over there mm-hmm. are called gamekeepers. Gamekeepers and grounds. Yeah. I did not know yep. that. Yeah, it's a. It is a great term because so many times you want to express a broad topic of things that you know, like a something that encompasses a lot and that word encompasses so much not only yep. all the different types of game species that sure. we like to hunt but it also encompasses all the different activities throughout the whole year that well, yeah you know. and there's a concept in the name too though it's not the game master it's the game keeper mm-hmm. and it kind of i i feel like when you when you hear it it's a good you, point it's like you're the steward like you're just a temporary yes. custodian of these resources for mm-hmm. a time and so I think that's what gamekeeper is important in, in the name itself. Yeah, so. it's it's kind of a I view it as kind of a humble word. Yep, mm-hmm. uh, it is. And, and that 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 here I am. This is what I'm doing. I'm taking care of these animals. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's very much the way. It's it's the very biblical perspective of we've been entrusted with something versus we built something. You know what I mean? It's a yeah. Who's, yeah. Who comes first? <laughs> well, not to go too far in rabbit trouble, like a steward. Like mm-hmm. in medieval times, there was the king, and then the steward was like the person who was mm-hmm. in his place and his representative. But like, well, and that's also, what we believe about our faith. I mean, and yeah, but ultimately answerable for his actions sure. on behalf of the king. Sure. And so that's an important thing to kind of remember too, as far as stewardship of game. Hmm. I'll, I'll get off my high horse. But there you go. <laughs> no, I love it. I, and how long has the magazine itself been around? So I th- we we kind of figured it up the other day. I think we're in the eleventh year. We've we've done about we've done about sixty 
issues. Okay. Mm. And it, when it first came out, it was uh, uh, two issues a year, and then we moved it to four. So it's kind of hard to go back. Exa- it's kind of hard. You mm-hmm. can't divide that by four. Right, right. Exactly. But yeah, and uh, but it's been that. There's a lot of good information Tons. in the magazine. Yeah, I mean, like they're not just magazines you read and then throw away. They're magazines you save and yeah. you still yeah, on the they're table. Coffee table magazines. They for are sure. heavy yeah. paper, and I like that. I, we we have a buddy that works with us named Jason King, and he's a graphic designer, and he's very uh, like he just sort of gets the ethos of a brand and can put that into print in a very winsome way and we always he always is talking to us about the material that stuff is printed on the feel how it feels and the weight of it and i've always loved that about the gamekeeper magazines like when you pick it up it feels important yeah (laughs) it it doesn't feel like the trade rag that you you know that's made out of newspaper paper that you just junk around it's like handle that knife (laughs) carefully (laughs) yeah well thank you for that yeah i mean i i say all that as a long rambling way of complimenting i mean that's that's really cool it's a premium piece it's a it's a labor of love and it kind of reflects all the brands that 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 are underneath the mossy oak umbrella and and, and, in one way shape form or fashion because we've got fishing stuff in there Mm -hmm. um it's mossy oak properties and it's just got it all and it it really is a kind of a snapshot into into this place Mm -hmm. for sure so I want to change topics short uh, here for just a second. Talk to us about your writing career. You, you've, I'm, I don't know if I'm your only fan. I know I'm one of your biggest fans. <laughs> I love your books. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. It, I don't know if it, you shouldn't refer to it as a career, but I guess uh, <laughs> maybe about 10 years ago, my daughter was about to start Mississippi State, so that kind of tells you when it was. But I had a dream, and I dream, I was at a hunting camp, with her and dreamed this this uh the the, the book the dummy line we've uh-huh. got a property that we hunt that's in sumter county and there's an old dummy line and it's such an unusual term you mm-hmm. don't hear the word dummy line used very often but she and i were asleep in a camper and i had a just a awful nightmare mm. super violent and i woke up and stood up and touched her and she was a, she was asleep and she was just a little girl and um some six, seven years old. And so I opened up the camper and got a Coca-Cola and sat down on the steps. And, it, you know, it's like midnight. And I was just, I was sweating. I was just thinking how vivid that dream was. Mm. And in the dream, I dreamed that, that, that somebody approached the camp to rob us. And if you think about it, there's all sorts of guns, binoculars, scopes. Sure. Um, a lot of valuable stuff. Most people don't lock their camps at night. Yeah. So I... I Camp house is kind of vulnerable, mm-hmm. and uh, so that that was what I dreamed. Somebody tried to rob the camp, and yeah. it got really ugly. Well, while I'm sitting on the steps of that camper, I start hearing gravel pop. Oh, and I can see headlights through the trees, and it's just like it was in my dream. And I thought I've had a premonition. You're keyed up at this point. So yeah, and I'm in my <laughs> underwear and sitting there. So it's a true story. So I I. Turned out the light. I stepped into my boots, grabbed a shotgun, mm-hmm. and fumbled through a vest and got a shell or two. And then I stood in the shadows behind a big pine tree and waiting to see what was going to happen. And so after about 10 minutes, nothing, nobody came down. But the lights came to the gate and turned off. Mm. 
So, um, so I ended up tiptoeing in the shadows up to the gate to see what was going on. And when I got up to the gate, the, the windows were all fogged up, and I could hear some music going in the car. <laughs> oh, no. so, I, mean, I knew what was going on. Oh, you know? my gosh. And, so, <laughs> and then there you are in your box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they'd have turned on their headlights on the car, they'd have had a heart attack. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh. So, so I... Yeah. I'm so glad I have this mental image oh. after I've read all the books because well cuz the other side of it is like that stories. that's their worst nightmare in reverse yeah. the, oh, this yeah. is the guy the crazy guy in his boxers with the shotgun Eddie with the shotgun yeah exactly at the oh, gate oh man yeah. so I went back to the camper and then I was keyed up at that point and I started thinking this could really happen and uh yeah so the next day when I got home I couldn't get home fast enough I typed chapter one, and I started mm. writing the dummy line, and I had so much fun writing that, and uh, it's just it's been a fun story. So I've always wondered when you write a book. I mean, did you did you just literally start writing and just kept writing until you felt like you'd told the story, or did was there a technique and a you know? A, a, I had no skill at all. I just had a story in my head that I wanted to tell. So it it was like every night I would sit down. You know when I could write, and those characters would talk to me and tell me, "Hey, here's what here's what's going to happen tonight," and that's, that's so, wild. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. And is it one of those things where you just have to? You can't even write fast enough. You're just trying to get it all. At times, just, it yeah. was. You know, and at times it was a struggle. But um, I look, guys. I mean, it's got it's got like seventeen hundred. I can't remember how many reviews, but the average about four stars. And if you if a guy wants to try it, they're not very expensive on Amazon. They're just they're, a, and they're fantastic. I'm telling you, like the first time I read the Dummy Line, I was, I mean, for five years you've written five books, right? That's right. I read one of these books every summer at the beach, and we're pretty religious about our beach experience. Yeah. So I took the Dummy Line down, and I'm sitting there with my little girls who are now. Shoot, I, I read the fifth one three years ago, so that's, you know, my oldest would have been eight at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there reading this book about a dad and his daughter camping and, you know, her getting kidnapped, basically. And, like, this whole – I was keyed up the whole week, yeah, yeah. you know, like a ninja every time we went out to eat, <laughs> you know, watching everybody. Uh, Ooh, no, but yeah, That's been fun. Well, I'm ready for another one. Well, I, you know, I've <laughs> taken a break, and I, I guess I need to – I've got a few ideas that are – percolating around i need to mm. i need to we're just so busy around here I, when i get home yeah. at night i'm just exhausted yeah i get it it i enjoy writing t- as well but i've never written anything nearly that long and it it is draining like it i find that when i sit down to labor and write a blog or an article of some kind i enjoy the experience yeah. but i mean i get done and i feel like i'm just yeah it costs you something yeah well so a guy can you know it t- took me a year to write the story and wow. edit the story and all that and then a guy can read it in about two nights and then they're like hey what else you got mm-hmm. it, it, you know <laughs> it's just you can't keep up like do, that. do you do you self-edit or do you have like an ant you trust to be your proofreader like how does it how does that process work no the people that published it assigned an editor to it i got gotcha. you uh, so that and that was you know pretty interesting process there i bet how many times were you like no that's really what i wanted it to say yeah well some of that and then some uh this guy that uh, his name was, uh, boy, just went off the top of my head, but he, he lives in Seattle. Okay. And um, he, he was really good, and he uh, was super helpful. I enjoyed the process hmm. with him. So. Hmm. That's fantastic. Well, uh, 
I'm, this is my vote for another couple because I plan to keep going to the beach every year. <laughs> so, so for folks listening um, who didn't know you wrote, which, which are the five that you've written so that they can find them? Yeah, so if they'll go to Amazon then um, type in the dummy line, that, that'll come up. So it, dummy line was first, moon underfoot, then the rented mule, and then um, – So the storyline is that the main character from the dummy line after this experience becomes a game warden. Right or a, or a some sort of law enforcement. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He he he. That's right. He had a change of heart. And so then the the subsequent stories are about him and his law enforcement career, basically. That's cool. I haven't I haven't read them. I actually didn't know that you wrote, wrote those. So I'm gonna have to. And you know who would really enjoy out. these books is your uncle Dutch. Yeah. Okay. So Rob's uncle, Rob's family, and my family have known each other a long time. His aunt was my English teacher all through high school she's been my proofreader since i was a little one yeah <clears throat> and and his uncle dutch has written is it three three books yeah it's three books about a similar very similar character to uh to your your character in the in the dummy line and he except his instead of law enforcement his kind of it's like a private detective it's right, like a detective his, his bent was was like historical artifacts yeah and so he kind of weaved in a lot of really cool history in it and you you would you would appreciate and enjoy those books and yeah I enjoyed them, and kind of y'all are two of my favorite modern day just storytellers, and I, yeah. I'm always wishing I had the one Falcon of Dirk. Books. That's right, the Falcon Dirk. So you said you said three of them. What are the other? Silent Approach. Okay, yeah. is the last one, and it's about a guy that's digging artifacts. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, hmm. I'm drawing a blank on Silent Approach. What was the storyline of it? So it it's set in uh, central Mississippi, and uh, there's some guys that are digging, yep, Indian artifacts up and selling them. And this guy goes, uh, uh, the it's a whole standalone story, new characters, and uh, the main character kind of goes undercover to try to bust up that that ring. And it's a lot deeper than just selling artifacts. Hmm. Come on with it, yeah, it's good. I'm here for it. That's <laughs> great. That's All good. right, in the fifth. That was the fifth. That was I'm the fifth. I'm trying okay. to think what the fourth one was now, <laughs> and I can't remember. Spence, do you remember? Old Money. That's Old it. Money. That's, that's it. it. Yeah, that's set it. in Columbus, and it's about a guy that, yep. that tricks an insurance company out of a bunch of money and buries it. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, mm. and some folk, folks are trying to find where he buried it. Yep. And that's interesting. Yep. Kind of a D.B. Cooper kind of, mm-hmm. but insurance for us. So, <laughs> all right, so you've been here at Mossy Oak, Change Gears again. Almost thirty years. Yes, twenty-seven. What's the, what's the coolest thing you've been a part of mm. since you've been here? Well, uh, you know, there's been so many patterns that have uh, come along. But my, I'll tell you. Let me tell you this story about. Uh, you know, I told you that I felt like I knew I was supposed to be here. This is where I was supposed yeah. to be. And so I'd grow. I have two sisters, and they have five little boys. And then I had this little girl. And I didn't know anything about raising a little girl. <laughs> I mean, you could probably relate to this. It, sure. Because it, it's way different. And so you're thinking, I just I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. Well, so when I get over here, Toxie's got a little girl. Bill Suggs got a little girl. Larry Moore. So there mm-hmm. are guys that I can look to and look at and watch mm-hmm. and see what they're doing with their daughters and, and, and all that. So man, you remember, mine's really, really little. So one of the... One of the first things that I – maybe I'd been here, hadn't probably been here a year, but Monsey Oak had developed breakup. And it was a big 
departure from the bottomland background yep. that everything had had. And it had these shadows in it. And mm-hmm. it was just a really cool name and a cool pattern. Mm-hmm. And we were, uh, there There was a radio show out of Jackson, Mississippi called Listen to the Eagle with Paul Ott. And it was a big deal back in the time. In the, and and Toxie was going to go on this radio show and tell about breakup. It was going to be the first time, if I'm re- remembering this correctly, it was kind of the first big talk about it and how, it, how they developed it and everything. And so um, at that time, um, Daryl Dague was uh, my. I'm kind of getting my little timeline messed up here, but this is what ended up happening. Daryl Dague said, "Hey, need you to take Toxic. You, you. He's got a lot to be thinking about. You drive him down there. Take you whatever he needs. You take care of him." And um, so we go to this. We go. We drive down to, to Jackson, and. Um, it, it, I know that the main thing he's going to talk about is telling the world about breakup, and I'm so excited about that. <laughs> you know, because me was really it was a cool. Pilot. It was, so it still is. <laughs> yeah. So they sit down, put on headphones like you and I have on, and and uh, and you know, and I'm standing back in the shadows watching, and all excited. So Paul Ott does his thing, gets the radio show started, brings on Toxie, and he says, uh, so, "You know, Toxie, tell us about what's going on." and Toxie said, well, before I do that, I want to say hello to my little girl, hmm. Sarah Francis. And uh, she she was just a few years, you know, three, four, five uh, years old. And so that kind of had an effect on me because I know how important getting the word out about breakup was and telling the story to the whole company. I mean, that was going to really give, give a big lift to the company. But he paused before he had the opportunity to do all that, and he said hello to to Sarah oh. Francis. And so I can remember going, "That's how you do it, right there." That the, mm. you, those, mm. the kids are more mm-hmm. important than anything else. It just made it, an and it's a on. that's a really cool reflection of the heart and the ethos behind this whole brand. I mean, you wouldn't have been here for thirty years if it wasn't no. if the if yeah. it wasn't as true behind closed doors as it is, you know, in the public limelight yeah that's i don't know that that's i've ever cool told story. anybody that story but that that, that really is. made a, an impact on me huh. i've heard toxie say things like that not quite that pointed about his daughter or about a family member but i've heard him several times where somebody wants to hear him talk about a big deal and he starts and he, he they ask him a question like that and he says something like well first i want to say blah 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 like he did that this year at the opry at, at the, nwtf at nwtf when they yep. gave him that award he said yeah. first i want to thank you know my yeah. dad and my, but you know, like he, 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 he deflected, and, yeah. and I don't think that was just a ploy. <laughs> I think he's, that's a he's good expression at that. His heart is in his heart. His, yeah, he's it's in the right spot. That's and really can, neat. A lot you can learn from, you know. And as guys, we need somebody to look at, somebody that you can emulate, somebody that mm-hmm. can get that that you know is mm-hmm. doing things the right way, because mm-hmm. it's easy to get off track. Yeah, no doubt about it. Sure is. No doubt. Well, um, do you deer hunt a lot? I, yeah, probably deer hunt more than than anything else. And I, I love just kind of going and sitting uh-huh. and just kind of disengaging my mind and just relaxing, leaning against a tree and watching. Are you a gun hunter or a bow hunter, or do you do a little of all of it? A little of all of it, but, um, you know, I – more often than not, I just I grab a rifle and go. We've uh-huh. the place, and 
it, and it's because the property that I hunt, it's just not far from here, and okay. it's mm-hmm. just covered up in wild pigs. Huh. So we end up ki- probably killing a dozen pigs yep. a year. So, you know, if you see a pig, you try to kill mm-hmm. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt. That's fun. Do you – I want to ask you some turkey hunting questions. Okay. Um, a little off topic of where we've been, but not off topic of the brand. I'd say it's never <laughs> off topic here. No, it's, no you're right. Uh, are you a mouth call guy? Are you a pot call guy? Are you a box call guy? Or are you a Bill Sugg and have 10 of all of them in your vest? Well, so uh, I start off with a box call. I got a, a, an old box call I've had for years that is just real henny sounding mm-hmm. and the sound carries really good. Mm. And I like to think they can't not gobble at it. What is it? I, I don't even know. I mean, I bought it years <laughs> ago at the at the uh, NWTF show, uh-huh. and it, just, it was just a guy there making them. It uh-huh. wasn't a big fancy brand like yeah. Rolling Thunder. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but it, anyway, so it, it's gonna I'm gonna lose it. It's gonna break. Something's gonna happen to it. And I'm gonna have to find another. One. But so I usually start with that box, mm. and then I and then I love a slate. I love a slate call for clucking and purring and soft yelps. And then and I, I always have a mouth calling because it. You know, if you get one in, it's kind of like I start with a box and then I'll go to a slate and then I'll try to finish them with a mouth call. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Do you mostly hunt in Alabama or do you hunt in Mississippi too? You got some places here? No, I have a, 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 mostly Alabama. Okay. Yeah, I really don't have a good place here in Mississippi. If you've got one, I would appreciate you. I, I know some, I have some friends who have places here, but I've never been fortunate enough to. So it's never been a problem friends. for me. But t- until this past year, and there were ten days between Alabama yeah. starting and Mississippi starting. Yeah, so I was just miserable. Yeah, mm. what are they going to do in Mississippi with the season dates? Have they talked about it? I I don't know. I, I don't know. Do you, Do you think there's any merit to kind of like they do in Florida, breaking it into a north zone and a south zone? There There could be. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Dr. Chamberlain, and mm-hmm. he's had a lot of. You know, there's just so much research going on now about when these mm-hmm. birds should be hunted and what what's going on early. And uh, th- those guys are so smart that are doing that research. I really Adam Butler here in Mississippi. Sure. That, that there's uh, you know Chuck Sites over now. Those guys care about our and they're turkey hunters. So I'm mm-hmm. just you know, they know a lot more than I do. So I'm just trusting what they what they say and do. Is there current talk in Mississippi about moving the season back? I think there is. I know that Tennessee did, and I know that Alabama did, which makes me hope that Mississippi will do something just because of the – it's going to put extra pressure on those Mississippi turkeys, all of us from right. external states that can get across just the line. available, yeah. I mean, we can hunt the Holly Springs National Forest in 30 minutes from our house, you know. And, uh, you know, it's one thing when we had a couple of weeks to do that, but it's another thing when it's a month. And if you all open March 15th and we open April 15th, yeah, um, that is. A I'm lot just of praying that pressure. diesel fuel comes down because yeah. I'll be in Mississippi for a while. Uh, that's interesting how how that's shaping out, and uh, and there's you know we hear people that are hunting state lines that are the, the, the Alabama Mississippi state line. Mm-hmm. It's just they're it's it's attracting more hunters to Mississippi, and I don't know. That, yeah, from an economic standpoint, there's people probably going, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But mm-hmm. from a how many birds do we have that we mm-hmm. can share, I don't think that 
don't yeah. think that's from a, a resource point. standpoint. I, yeah. there, I, I have a feeling, a sneaky feeling, we're going to learn a lot about that in the years to come, that we, we've gotten to be so good and efficient at killing them. And, and, and we've, I think we've got more hunters, you know, and at least it feels that way. And, and that's all a good thing. But our, our liberal limits and our ability to travel and move around, it's, I think we're putting pressure on them that we're, you know, we weren't 25 years ago. But, yeah. And I think a guy is going to have to learn to, you know, let, let's just say you're hunting in Alabama and you can kill four. And I, it, there, it may be come to the point where you say, you know, two is plenty. Mm-hmm, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm happy. I'm satisfied with two birds. There was a time, do you realize you could live here in West Point? You could kill how many in Mississippi? Five? No, I think it's I think it's three. It's always been three. It always has been? Okay. I think so. And then Alabama was five. Okay. But from right here, you could kill eight turkeys in two states. Yeah. Within what, an hour and a half drive? Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, Alabama's 30 minutes. It's not even right 30 there. minutes. Yeah. Okay. In Alabama, you, you kind of, seems like people measured how good a hunter you were by how many I turkeys. I mean, you killed. You yeah. You know? Sure. So, it's, And your uh, part of Alabama has kind of always had turkeys, at least your lifetime, right? That's I mean, right. I have, I have always had a place I could go and, and mm. hear turkeys and just have taken it for granted. Yeah. Did your dad grow up? I mean, did like when you were coming up, did your dad turkey hunt with you? Well, so there weren't a lot of turkeys when he was young, but he recognized that, that I was interested in it, and he helped me find people huh. that could, would take me. And he would go, too, with us, yeah. but he wasn't necessarily That's bitten cool. by the bug. But. He made sure there were a lot of times when I before I could drive, my dad would drive me someplace, and then he would maybe just even sleep in the car and let me go hunting. <laughs> that's cool. That's that's pretty neat. That's 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 a good memory right there. It is a good memory. <laughs> well, very fascinating. Thank you for sharing your time and your stories with us, and uh, thanks for all that you do here at Mossy Oak. I know you're an integral member of the team. Well, it's a it's look getting to meet people like you guys. It's it's a lot of fun. The 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 different brands that are popping up around yeah. and what you guys have done with Rolling Thunder and Thank y'all you. got a lot going on with uh with that and you're touching a lot of lives. And, I mean, if a guy goes, I would encourage somebody if you go to the NWTF show to y'all have got probably the most active booth going <laughs> on. I mean, there's just always there's always somebody blowing a duck call over. Yeah. There. It's been fun the last couple of years at NWTF. I feel like we've kind of we've hit a spot that people appreciate, which is we've allowed some space to be on the floor in in our booth, and that show is so busy and so crowded. It, I think it is just, and it it wasn't something we really planned, but it was like we've got to have some room for people to stand because when people buy a duck call, it's not like somebody buying a T-shirt like. I want an extra large. When they buy a duck call, it's an experience. I mean, they want to walk up, they want to blow that this call, and they blow that call, and they blow this call, and then they want to go back to the first call, and they want you to do something to it, you know, and they need to kind of feel like they got the treatment right, you know, right. before they buy it. And so that was always our problem there was if you had your tables right out to the aisle, you couldn't sell more than about one an hour because you'd have two or three people standing there, and they'd be there a while, you know, and then – your next customer would just sort of ease on by, and it has been fun the last couple of years having open space in our booth for people to come and stand and hang out and talk and shop and, you know, meet there, and so it's it's been fun. But So I would encourage people, we did a television show with you last year, mm-hmm. and I think they can go on the Mossy Oak Go app 
and 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 probably find that television show under it's the a, it's, it's a, a gamekeeper episode. Show. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think a, so. It's a it's just some great footage in there from White Oaks and in the Public Woods and the banding project that we did together over there. There's some cool stuff in that episode. Yeah, we refer to you as a waterfowl, waterfowl aficionado. Yeah, which there if, it you're, is. if you're an aspiring waterfowl, you know, somebody. If you like want to be an aficionado like you. Yeah, if you want I would suggest <laughs> that you go to a place that's about four hours away from where really good duck hunting is because everybody here thinks that I'm some – Duck hunting guru. I go to Arkansas. Everybody's like, all right, I got from Tennessee. <laughs> so right. It's kind of like, you know, profit's not appreciated in his own town. Yeah, like, you right. got to go a long ways away to find your fan club. So That's funny. <laughs> what, uh, if somebody was going to go listen to a game ca- a Gamekeeper episode today, what's one that you, just like a, a real favorite of yours that you think people should go listen to? Of the podcast. Of the podcast. Right? Yeah, sorry. Well, yeah, there's been so many. We we are with the game people. We're so blessed because we can be very diverse. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, we've got them from uh, Bob Whites to turkeys to we did one on the real foot murders. That was yeah. really really interesting. And then you know, then down to raising trophy bluegill. Yes, that was like, a really interesting one. That yeah. lady is growing. She's caught several that weigh over three point five pounds. The record's four point one two. Listen, listen, a four point one two pounds. That's the record. That's yeah, what they're trying right. to break. Yeah, and she's caught several <laughs> over three and a half pounds. That's scary. Is that, this I lady working with your ponds? No, she's with got her place. Yeah, she's got a place in North Alabama near Huntsville. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been practicing my bait casting skills. Can me and you go fishing there? <laughs> I would love to go up there. And I'm going to tell you a funny story real quick about I a couple of years ago. Drake Waterfowl was coming out with their fishing stuff. Yeah, and we were Drake Waterfowl sponsored project at the time and all this. And so, I needed part of my job for Drake was we needed to provide them like a hundred fishing photos. So I got Dylan and we brought. I, I, I said, let's go to West Point. Bobby Cole loves to bass fish. Oh. And it's got some, I mean, some jam-up spots just yeah. right here out of town. So I texted Bobby, lined it all up, and <laughs> come down here. I had, like, two rods and reels. I mean, I hadn't fished in 20 years. Oh, man. I sold my boat when I was in college. And these new reels have brakes on them and all these things. <laughs> these new fangled contraptions. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of bird nests. We, we, we pulled up, like, <laughs> first forecast on bird nests. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob and Bobby pull out like a Zebco and push button. They're like, "Here, we we got you a reel." <laughs> I mean, he unfolded it out of his pocket minutes, and put it together. Twenty minutes, yeah, you know. Right. Bobby's tying me a crankbait on. Oh, and that's fixing awesome! It's like he ended up catching one that weighed about four or five pounds. I yeah, we had a fun yeah. afternoon that's in between solid. the rain and all that. But uh, anyway, so yeah. I have not listened to that episode about the brimfish, and that'd be. It's pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. Well, and then the the poacher, the poaching ring episode, that was really, yeah. really good. I mean, there there's a lot of there's a lot of good ones out there. So encourage y'all to go listen to those as well. You probably already do. So well, so do you have a favorite? Did one come to mind? You know, uh, that's that's it's but, a hard question. Yeah, there's there's over a hundred of them, but we. Uh, that poaching ring one mm. was because we, we've I, I've always thought stuff like that goes on i'm sure i mean i'm sure you know every little town's got somebody that that well they just know he's out there just murdering uh-huh. them and killing them and 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 but to hear how they <laughs> kind of infiltrated the gang and yeah got well and how organized it actually was it, and it was it, it's, it's just cra- a pretty interesting story crazy how well thought of the guy was kind of the the ringleader 
Mm. That that struck me when I listened to it. It was like that's bizarre. I had introduced a bunch of kids to hunting. Yeah, and, I mean, just so you know, turkeys just make you crazy. They do, and it it just it got the best of him. And mm-hmm. I and the one the one of the things about hunting is that there's so much peer pressure. I mean, guys can fall victim mm-hmm. to that. They think, mm-hmm. man, I've got to kill a deer this weekend because my buddy's killed one last weekend. I got to, I'm going to catch it, it on Monday. You yeah. know, it, there's just it, and you you've got to get past that mm-hmm. and and just enjoy being outdoors and enjoy the experience and because because that peer pressure will eat you up. That's a good word. Yeah, it is a good word. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, I thoroughly enjoy the Gamekeeper podcast. It's definitely one of my regulars, and uh, appreciate you guys putting that out. And it seems like you guys are getting better and better and better at it. I mean, you've got great guests, and um, you all started your podcast right about the same time we started this, and I feel like you all have progressed and grown, and here we are still. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that, but we have fun at it. We. I'll tell you an interesting ep. Yeah, that is funny. Uh, I, one of the my favorite episodes was George Mayfield. Oh yes, fascinating. God, yeah, man. RT and I listened to that coming back from somewhere in Florida or yeah, something this spring, so. and we were just like, kept saying things. Trip. We were like, you believe that? We'd pause it. We'd debate. Like, mm-hmm. you think that's right? Might be. I don't know. I mean, that's <laughs> he's an interesting guy, and uh, and and he's had so much hands-on experience and. Killing turkeys, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, there he, he for him when he starts explaining something, it's kind of like it doesn't matter. People stop and listen because mm-hmm. they just they just know he he knows. And I felt like everything he explained at first blush, you were like, no way. And then the longer you listen to him, you're like, exactly. You could think of four different examples. There's like that played out, and I wasn't smart enough to figure out that's what happened. Yeah. Like. And some of the outlandish stuff he'd say, he just says with such confidence that you yeah. feel like just a tall tale teller, you know. You better be on your game if you're going to whatever. But gosh, everything he said was like, and it happened, I promise. Yeah. It was wild. <laughs> Even, you know, like uh, that first one we titled it Understanding the Gobble because he talks about there's different gobbles. Hmm. And most people just never realize that or think about that or understand that. Mm-hmm. He's a really, really interesting guy. All right. Well, we, we can, can wrap keep going. It up. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank y'all. For, thank y'all for y'all support of Mossy Oak. You guys are are, out, are great ambassadors out there, and we well, certainly appreciate it. Flying the Mossy Oak flag is a privilege and an honor, and we're we we realize that every day, and we talk about it every day, and so mm-hmm. it's it's not something we take lightly. That's right. So. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. All right. We'll catch you on the next. See one. you on the next one.